Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. I do feel like I have a word for the house. I, uh, I don't say that to brag or to be, you know, puff my chest out or whatever. I don't say that often. But when the Lord gives me a word, I feel like, I, I feel like it's important to establish that because I feel like we should lean in a little bit to what the Lord's saying. How many of you feel like we're in a really important hour? I don't mean in the globe. I mean, yes, that's true. I don't mean in, in, in the nation. Yes, that's true. But I mean in this house. I mean in my family, in my house. We're in an important hour. We're in an important hour. I, I've said with close friends for weeks now that I feel like we are, we are at this pivotal moment where, where we can go one way or another. And it is, it is, not, it is not indifferent which, which direction we go. It is not inconsequential which direction we go. It is important the decisions that we make. I didn't get any amens there. All right. John 6. We're going to start there. John 6. Let's read a few verses. I'm going to read, uh, let's, let's read these first five and then we'll pray, okay? After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they were watching the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. But Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. So Jesus, after raising his eyes... And seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your precious presence in this place. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would crack open people's hearts today to receive this word. I believe that this is a word for this house. It's a word for this people. I believe you have something to say to us today. I pray that you would breathe on this. Lord, I ask for strength to bring this word. I pray for wisdom to bring this word, for utterance to bring this word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people in a powerful way. And that today, Lord, not next week, not next month, and not next year, that today, that there would be fruit from this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is No Reservations. No Reservations. Not at like Chili's, like no limitations, no withholding, no building fences. Jesus is, John 6 is an interesting chapter. There's only seven miracles in the book of John, and two of them happen in John 6. So it's a pretty important chapter. Jesus multiplies bread, and then later he would walk on water. Jesus here is preparing to dive into this incredible miracle about the multiplication of bread. And we could do a million things with this. We could talk about we could talk about Jesus using the apostles and how they were actually the conduit of the miracle. and we, we could do a million things. But I actually want to talk about faith this morning. I want to talk about faith. At the beginning of this, uh, we'll actually park here for a second. But at the, at the beginning of this, um, of this story, it, it says that Jesus has con- come over to the other side of Galilee. And he, he notices that there's a large crowd following after them. So, so in other words, Jesus isn't unaware that there's a need at hand. Right? Does that make sense? 
like Jesus, I, I think sometimes we, we find ourselves in these circumstances, in these situations, and we run to the Lord and we throw all this at his feet to try and catch him up and speed him up on what's going on in life. And Jesus is not unaware of what's going on. Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, aware that there's a massive crowd following him. And check this out. This is how Jesus, in verse 3, handles, this is how Jesus handles conflict. He goes up on a mountain, and there he gets with his disciples, and he takes a seat. When we have conflict, we call a committee, and we call a group, and we start, we start reaching around for different opinions. and we start. Jesus deals with conflict way different than we deal with conflict. Jesus, when he is faced with a massive crowd of people, somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people, 5,000 men with their women and children, between fifteen and 20,000 people, Jesus decides the best way to deal with this massive issue that's coming my way is I'm going to climb up on a mountain, I'm going to sit down, and from there I'm going to hear what the Father's saying. I'm going to hear what the Father's saying. That is not anything really to do with this message, but it's worth spending a couple minutes there. Jesus thinks way different than we do. Like, way different than we do. Jesus doesn't start gathering up cash. Jesus doesn't start looking around at stones that he can turn to bread. Jesus doesn't start trying to figure out the scenario that he's found himself in. Jesus climbs a mountain and he sits down. You can climb the mountain and miss the sitting down part, and it's actually done no good. You've just worn yourself out climbing a mountain. I have climbed many a mountain and forgot to sit down once I got to the top. And all I found myself doing is getting worn out going up and down mountains. If we're going to ever have results like Jesus had results, we've got to start processing like Jesus processed. That means my process has got to be when trouble starts coming my way, my reaction is not get busy. My reaction is find a place to get alone with Him and sit down so I can hear what He's saying. Because only from there can I figure out what he's doing. Because if I want on earth as it is in heaven, I've got to find out what heaven's doing. I can get on earth as it is in earth my way. If I want on earth as it is in earth, I don't have to climb nothing or sit nowhere. I just got to get real busy and I'll get real stressed and real worried and real anxious and real tired and still be in a real mess. But if I really want his solutions into my circumstance, then I've got to get in a place where I can hear what's he saying and what's he doing. On earth as it is in heaven is not some cool prayer to get you through your morning routine because it's easy to remember. It is a lifestyle. What does it look like that heaven is doing? How does heaven address that need? How does heaven address sickness? How does heaven address lack? How does heaven address disappointment and pain? And if I want to process these things in my life, I've got to process it the way that Jesus processed it. So Jesus climbs up on a mountain, and he sits down. Verse 4, let's pick it up there. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. So Jesus, after raising his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Let's, Let's read a couple more, and then we'll talk, okay? But he was saying this only to test him, for he himself knew what he intended to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough for them to receive just a little. Does this mess you up? Do you ask questions when you read your Bible? Or you just read it? Neither. Do you ask questions when you read your Bible? All right, there it is. Why does Jesus ask Philip? Why does Jesus ask Philip to test Philip? 
How many times does Jesus specifically address one disciple? Not very often, right? When Jesus says, who do men say that I am? He addresses the group of disciples. When Jesus walks into the boat and he says, why are you afraid? He's addressing a group of disciples. When Jesus asks questions, he's often posing the question to a group of disciples. When Jesus addresses a single disciple, he's addressing something that that single disciple needs addressed. So why does Jesus say to Philip, hey Philip, imagine, here's Philip, there's a group of 12 guys, Philip's one of the 12, a whole group sitting around, they all see this ginormous crowd coming, and who knows the things that are going through their head, and Jesus says to Philip, hey Philip, where are we going to get the money to buy the bread, where are we going to feed these people, and the scripture says that he already knew what he was going to do. Did Jesus buy any bread in this story? No. So why did he ask him, where are we going to get the money to buy the bread? Jesus tricked him. Now hang on. Jesus tricked him. Jesus will always ask questions that address the anxiety that I'm currently entertaining. Jesus had no intention of getting any money to go buy any bread. And in case you're wondering, that word buy in the Greek, it's not some deep theological... No, no, it means get money, go buy it. It means go to the marketplace and exchange currency for something else. Jesus looks at Philip, and according to the scriptures, he knows in his heart already exactly what he's going to do, which is multiply food, not buy anything. And he says to Philip, where are we going to buy food Where are we going to get money to buy food for all of these people? Why does Jesus do this? Because Philip's anxiety had already set up a reservation that was preventing the Lord from being able to do what he wanted to do in the circumstance. Does that make sense? Jesus is working to tear down this reservation before he ever gets to the miracle. How do I know that? Because in the next verse, Philip answers. He's already got an answer. He says 200 denarii wouldn't be enough. Where did he come up with that number? I don't know, but he came up with it really quickly. So apparently it was already on his mind. Jesus knew that there was anxiety that was already sitting in the back of Philip's mind. And Jesus wanted to address the anxiety because what he was wanting to do was much greater than the anxiety that Philip was already entertaining. This happens all the time. There will be a need presented, and before Jesus ever speaks a word, my mind starts working out all the ways that Jesus can't do it. Maybe not you, but me. A sickness will show up, and I start working out why Jesus can't heal it. I start rehearsing all the doctor's reports that say that Jesus isn't able to get it done. I start looking at the bank account and saying, there's not enough money coming in, and there's too much going out. I start looking at my family and saying, the kids aren't acting right, and they won't listen, and I'm disciplining them, and they won't do what they're supposed to do. And I pre-propose these restrictions in my mind, and I build up these reservations, and Jesus is calling them out, saying, before I ever did anything, you're already telling me I'm not able to do it. Before I did anything. The Lord is asking a simple question. He sees the crowd. They see the crowd. Surely the Lord sees the crowd. And Philip is already contemplating why Jesus isn't enough. How many times... How many times does Monday morning roll around and the first thing on my mind is, Jesus can't get it done. The Lord's not able to do it. 
We wouldn't put it in that word, though. We wouldn't say it that way. We would say the bank account isn't going to make it this week. We would say, I don't know if he's going to heal me. We would say, I don't know if peace will come to me in this season. I don't know if I can have joy in this season. For me. Maybe they can have joy. We would never dare say Jesus isn't enough. Is this okay? Are you okay? Sometimes birthing something isn't easy. When he impregnates you with the word, it's not always fun. I'm sorry. But we would never say Jesus isn't enough. But this is what it looks like. We say that can happen and this can happen and that can happen. And we begin to build these restrictions and these reservations about why Jesus, Jesus can't do what he wants to do in a circumstance. And we put him over in a corner and say you can, you can do what I'm able to wrap my mind around. Because I've already built up this case that says you can't do these 20 things for these different reasons. When he hasn't even begun to move yet. He hasn't even started moving yet. He's still seated. He's still seated. Can I tell you there is a time when he stands up? There is a moment, my God, there is a moment when he stands up. He stays seated. But when he stands up, stuff starts to move. And if he is still seated, don't you dare get in your mind why he can't and why he shouldn't and why he won't. Just keep looking at him and wait for him to stand up. Because when he stands up, it will. It will move. If he's still seated, he's not ready yet. And I've taken promises in my life. And I've said you can't and you won't and you shouldn't and you will not. Because I'm looking at him and he's still seated. And he's told me time and time and time again. I'm not ready yet. And if you'll just wait till I stand up, I'll blow your mind. And he's got to go back in and call out these reservations that I've built up. Back in and call out. And he doesn't do it to shame me. He doesn't do it to shame Philip. I think Jesus wanted to embarrass Philip. Jesus loves Philip. Jesus loves Philip. Jesus died for Philip. Jesus got up out of the grave for Philip. Jesus kicked the devil in the teeth for Philip. He loves Philip. He doesn't do it to shame Philip. He points out to Philip so that Philip can give it to Jesus. He points it out to me so that I can hand it over to him. But if I'm carrying these reservations, he's never able to become in my life what he's supposed to become. He's never able to do in my life what he really wants to do. Verse 8 and 9. Then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? In my Bible, this is a semicolon. Is that what it is here? It's a comma here. Same thing. In some, in some translations, it's a period. It's literally, it's two thoughts that are connected. Does that make sense? It's two separate thoughts that are connected. Why, why would Andrew say there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish? Why would he say that? There are 15 or 20,000 people coming up a mountain for food. And Andrew says we have five pieces of bread and two fish. Where does that come from? Not Andrew. Not Andrew. It doesn't come from Andrew. It comes from the Holy Spirit. 
How do I know? Because the second it comes out of Andrew's mouth, he goes, whoa, what was that? And he gives another statement that comes from him. And he says, but what are these for so many? I've stood in meetings. I've stood in my prayer closet. I've stood in my living room. I've sat in my car. And things have come out of my mouth. Things have come out of the apostles' mouth. Things have come out of anointed men and women of God. Things have come out of mom's mouth who have boldly declared things. And when they come out into the atmosphere, there's a woe in the moment. There's a woe in the moment. Because it came from something that wasn't them. And it came from something that that they didn't birth of themselves. But you know what happens? Sometimes in that moment, sometimes five minutes down the road, and sometimes five years down the road, we start building reservations in. We start building restrictions, and we start building fences about why God can't do what He exploded out of us in a moment. In a moment, a prophetic decree will explode out of me that God's going to save my generations and bring a thousand generation revival to the region and all of a sudden I start backing into a corner and saying, well he can't do that because of this and maybe it won't happen because of this and maybe when Jesus returns because of that and I start backing myself into a corner and saying all the reasons why Jesus can't do what Jesus wants to do. How do I know that that's what Jesus wants to do? Because He did it! Jesus only did what the Father did. And He only said what the Father said. And Andrew nailed it. Andrew nailed it. Andrew said there's five barley loaves and two fish. And then he recognized what he said. And he said, but that, 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 that's foolish. That's crazy. And Jesus said, you had it. Jesus said, you had it. You had it. And I've stood. I've stood with Him. And He said, you've had it. I've stood with him time and time again and I've built these reservations and he said, you had it. You nailed it. It came exploding out of you in a moment and you nailed it. But you started building these reservations and telling yourself why you couldn't and why you shouldn't and why I wouldn't. And we have become a people that have pushed him away because we think that we can't do it. Good news, it's not me. It's not me. I know this isn't fluffy, happy grace preaching, but this is the word of the Lord for this house as sure as I'm standing here. The word of the Lord for this house is what exploded out of us in moments of prophetic declaration is exactly what He wanted to do. It wasn't some dream that got spurred up because of emotion. It wasn't because the key got hit on the piano right. It wasn't because somebody was feeling themselves that night. It was because the Holy Spirit showed up and said, this is what we're going to do. And we backed ourselves up and said, we can't and we shouldn't. And what if He doesn't? And the Lord is saying, but what if you just believe? What if you just believe? What if you just believe? Can I talk to you a second about believing? You know what believing is in the New Testament? I should pick one, shouldn't I? You know what believing is in the New Testament? It's to be convinced. Help me, Lord. To believe is to be convinced. Literally, the Greek word is to be persuaded. C.C. Winans got a song, Lover to Death, Holy Ghost Filled. I believe for it. Love that. Here's the problem. It was never meant to stop with belief. 
Belief is a persuasion. Persuasion is based on evidence. When Jesus says, I'm going to heal your kids, you believe him. Why? Because there's evidence. He's healed before. There's evidence in the word. You know who he is. There's a case that is built. And so because of the case of evidence, like a lawyer almost, you believe because there's a case. There's enough evidence. Does that make sense? Okay. What happens when the evidence starts changing? What do you do when your daughter goes back to the doctor and the evidence doesn't say that the cancer is getting better. It actually says the cancer is getting worse. What happens to belief that is based on evidence when evidence starts changing? Belief starts changing. Belief starts shifting. Belief starts moving. We think every time he speaks we step into faith. That's not true. When he speaks he opens the door for faith. When he speaks, it creates belief, but belief has to birth faith. Because if I live this life based on belief, I live based on the evidence that is around me. I live based on the evidence that is presented before me. And if you're carrying a dream for 30 years and you only believe it, then every time somebody walks out the door, you'll say, God's not true. Is that okay? Is that okay? If you're carrying a belief that God's going to heal your finances, every time a new bill shows up, you'll say, God must not want to provide for me. Or He doesn't want to heal me, or He doesn't want to restore me, or give me peace or hope. Belief has to birth faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. First of all, the Word of God is not how you, get, is not how you hear. The word, the word of God opens your ability to hear. If you want to hear more, get in the Word more. If you want to hear the Lord more, get in the Word more. Somebody say amen. If you want to hear more, get in the Word more. My gracious. Get in the Word more. But faith does not come from hearing. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing does not equal faith. Somebody hear that. Hearing does not equal faith. Faith comes from or by hearing. When you hear, you are presented an opportunity for faith. When you hear, you are given a privilege for faith. I can hear him speak all day and not step into faith. I can hear him say what he's going to do in this city and in this region and in my kids and in my grandkids and still not step into faith. Why would the God who never forces us into anything force us into faith when he speaks? That's not consistent with his character, but that's what we've taught people. We've taught people all you got to do is hear his voice and then you'll have faith. That's not true. That's not true. You know what it takes? My God. It takes sitting with him. It takes sitting with him. It takes sitting with him and the doctor's report. And it takes holding both of those up to him and saying, this says that she won't be healed. But this says that she will be healed. This says that they won't be saved. But this says that they will be saved. I've got promises I can't see. They're so far off. I have no idea where they're at. They're as lost as lost can be. But I know that I know. I'll see them as sure as I'll see anything. I'm more convinced of them than I am the color of this shirt. And it's not because I'm great and I'm grand. It's because I've sat in a room with Him and I've wept and I've laughed and I've rejoiced because in His presence is where I find faith. And I'm tired of a church that's living on evidence instead of faith in who He is. He is the God who births faith. If you want faith, you've got to go to the author, the originator, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. 
Don't tell me I don't have faith for that. Sit with Jesus and stare into those eyes of fire and listen to that voice like the sound of mighty rushing waters and you can't help but come out and believe. He either is who He is or He's not. This is either all real or none of it is. He's either going to do it or He won't. And I'm tired. I'm tired of pushing my promises off. To, a, to an age that I can't see. I'm tired of it. I gotta get water. The men's conference. Can I just, can I say this in love and nobody hate me? If the promises I'm carrying are the greatest thing that I'm gonna do when Jesus is sitting in physical bodily form on the earth, Jesus ain't the dude I thought he was. My, I better accomplish more than I have ever thought, dreamed, or imagined when the living Christ is sitting in bodily form on the earth. Don't take the promises that are for now and push them off to an age that is to come. Don't take the promises. We are going to rule and reign with Him one day. He's going to be here in physical, bodily form. The living Christ. i got more in mind than the small peanuts He's got me working on now. Okay? This stuff is great and I'm glad for it, but this is occupying This is occupying. This isn't eternal stuff. This is occupying. It will have an eternal effect. But the stuff I'm going to do on that side, it better be way bigger than the stuff on this side. It better be way bigger. And I'm tired of the church building reservations. Saying, we believe God, but have you seen the bank account? We believe God, but have you seen attendance numbers? We believe God, but have you seen the economy? We believe God, but have you seen the church down the road? We believe God, but did you hear what what's-his-face prophesied about the eagle's wings and the bird's nests and the trumpets and the horns and the bowls? I mean, my God, is he Jesus? Is he the Lord? How many services? Maybe some of y'all haven't been here that long. How many services have we stood in where the king of glory has walked into the room? And in a moment has birthed a prophetic word. Some people in this house, some people we had no idea who they were. Just came in for a meeting. Birthed a prophetic word, a decree into the atmosphere. And we saw it. And we saw it come to pass. The the gentleman who prophesied the two properties that we would buy. You thought he was crazy. You thought he missed it. Then, a couple weeks down the road, bought the two properties. More prophetic words are hanging in the balance. For this house that had been birthed in a moment. Not because somebody ate something and they were feeling themselves that day. Not because it was just a good atmosphere. But because the spirit of the living God was trying to arise us and awaken us. And quicken us to a reality. Not from the now. That is the the problem with the prophetic. Is he's not pulling from your now. He's pulling from your tomorrow. Well I can't see it. That's good. That means it's prophecy. It's coming. When he's pulling from your tomorrow, it's hard to see it yet. You've got to get alone with him and believe him for what he said. And this house is going to believe him for what he said. If I'm the only one, if he and she are the only ones, we will believe him for what he said. I told the Lord this morning, I said, there may be, there'll be 200 people there and 200 people won't get it. I said, I need three. I said, if three people will get it, if three people get it, it'll change a city. 
It'll change a city. It'll change. He doesn't need 200 people. If he can get two or three, it'll change a whole city. He's looking for a people that say, everything around me says what you said was a lie. That means it must be close. That means it must be close. What did Paul say? Paul, Paul said, I'll boast all the more in my weakness. In the Greek, later on in that text, it literally says that my weakness makes place for your strength to tabernacle. Paul said, my weakness gives your strength the place to come and tabernacle. Well, my God, the past couple of years have made quite a tabernacling place. He's going to do it. I don't care if you believe it or not. I love you, but I don't care if you believe it. He's going to do it. He is going to fulfill every word that he's spoken over this house, every word that he's spoken over this city, every word that he's spoken over this region, every word he's spoken over my apostle, my apostle, my apostle, my apostle, and my mom. He's going to fulfill every word. He's going to fulfill every word. And I'm going to stand there and see it. And I may not see the full fruit of it, but I will see the first fruits of it. Because I'm not supposed to see the full fruit of it. Because my generations, generations are supposed to see the full fruit. But he will do it. He will do it. We have believed for a long time. It's time to have faith for it. We have believed for a long time. And that belief has wavered some over the years. Sometimes it was real high. and Sometimes it wasn't as high. And that's not to condemn. I have been there. Listen, I got this weeks ago. From him. <laughs> from him alone. That's not cool. I got it weeks ago. I believe for a long time for a lot of stuff. I'm ready to have faith. I'm ready to have faith. Faith is the, the King James says faith is the substance. My Bible says faith is the conviction. Faith is a confidence. Faith, faith isn't a hope. Faith is a confidence. Faith says, I know that I know as sure as I know my name. It's going to happen. Faith is a confidence. Well, you can't see it yet. Yeah, but I'm confident. Yeah, but I'm convicted. I'm bought in. I'm dug in. I'm not going anywhere. Come hell or high water, I'm not going anywhere. Because we will see the promises over this region. Over this region. We will not settle. Gosh, I get fired up. It's the apostle's fault. He's the one who stood up here and started this. We will not settle for good church services. We will not. I hope I have the liberty to say that in here. We will not settle for good church services. Our mission is to reach a region. It is to wreck a region with the glory of God. Isaiah said that the glory of God fills the earth. But Habakkuk said that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth. Our job is to make sure that they know that there's glory out there. And it's for them. So let's be the church that has faith. Let's be the church that comes out of belief and is birthed into faith. Not because we just repeat it a bunch of times. Not because we just say it. Not because we put it on a banner and put it on a wall or shout it or run around. But because we sit with the Lord. And in His presence, we bring Him all our fears. We bring Him all our worries. We bring Him all our concerns. We bring Him all our hopes and all of our dreams. And we say, I don't know what to do with any of this stuff. But I'm going to lay it at your feet. And right here in your presence, you're going to take all of that. And you're going to turn it into faith. 
And you're going to strengthen this thing and hand it back to me. And nothing can take it out of my hand. Nothing can take it out of my hand. Okay, you can stand. Are you okay? We're not done. Andrew nailed it. Andrew nailed it. Jesus knew exactly what he was about to do. He knew exactly what the Father had already pre... Hear this. He knew exactly what the Father had already prescribed for him to do to handle the circumstance that was at hand. And he wanted to use Andrew... He was looking at Andrew saying, this is a perfect opportunity to bring my son and to express this beautiful opportunity right through my son. And Andrew nailed it. And he got nervous. He got nervous. I've gotten nervous over his promises. I remember as, as long as I can remember my grandfather telling me the, the day I saw you in the hospital, he said, the... said, the Lord told me you'd preach the gospel. That's awesome to hear when you're 25. It's not so cool when you're four. That's a big weight when you're seven. And you think you're going to play in the NBA. And then you're 5'10". Andrew nailed it. And he got nervous. And he started backing up away from this ledge called faith. And this is a... This is a weird, scary place to live, but it's where we're called to live. And sometimes I don't like it until I'm reminded this is the safest place in the world. This is the safest place in the world. Oh my God, it's the safest place in the world. Churches all over America will tell you this morning to trust Him with your finances. And yes, do that. I believe you should. We trust Him with our finances. I I believe that. But my God, there are promises that He has spoken over your life. This isn't just for this house. Hear me this morning. It is for your family and your children. It is for your grandchildren. You know what I'm talking about. You've stood in the middle of your living room. Come on, I'm prophesying to somebody. You have stood in the middle of your living room. And the Lord has spoken things to you. And you've believed Him in a moment. And you've turned around two days later and said, God, I don't think it can happen. Not right now. Not in this season. Not with the way they're acting. Not with the way they're behaving. And you've started to back up from this ledge called faith. And this morning... The Lord is calling you back to this ledge called faith. He is calling you back to this ledge called faith. Oh, God. I want to invite you this morning. Do whatever you got to do. Kneel at your seat. Run up front. Don't run out the doors. Don't do that. Do whatever you got to do this morning. There is, I, I know there's belief in the room. But I know that the Lord wants to birth faith in this room. Hear me. He can do it at your house. I know that. I know that. He can do it in your prayer closet. I know that. I know that. But there is something about a divine invitation. There is something about a moment when the Lord says, I am here and I'm calling on you. I am here and I'm waiting on you. Because you are the one that I want to bring into a greater reality. If you've been believing for some stuff, if you've been hoping for some stuff, if you've been just maybe 
kind of trusting in some stuff and you want to be convicted, completely convinced that today it's never again going to be, God, I'm really not sure if you're going to be who you said you're going to be in my life. Get up here. Come on. Come on. Don't walk. Go. Come on. Get up here. He is birthing faith in the room. Come on. Come on. Come on. You go pray. Come on. Come on. Come on. Be honest. There's doubts. There's fears. There's condemnation. Come on. I hear the Lord say there's condemnation. I hear the Lord say there's condemnation and he's not pointing a finger and shaming you. This morning he's saying I'm inviting you into a greater reality called the fullness of the understanding of who I am as a faithful, faithful father. Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.